When we pray for Bishop Parks, we now get a two for one. 40 Days for Life continues and social media continues to grow, including the possible patron saint of the internet. These topics and more coming up next. Welcome to A View from the Top with Bishop Gregory Parks, Bishop of the Diocese of St. Petersburg. A View from the Top is a candid and hopeful conversation on current events that affect our church, our community, and our country. Now, here's Bishop Parks and the General Manager of Spirit FM, John Morris. I must say, welcome home, Bishop. You've been traveling a little bit. Uh, you First, you were out in Beaumont for an ordination of one of our local priests, and now you return from Savannah with the ordination and installation of your brother. Yeah, thank you, John. And it's, as always, good to be with you, and, and it's good to be back home. I, uh, as you mentioned, have had two recent trips, and both were for very joyous, very good reasons to, to leave the diocese, the ordination of Bishop Toops, and as you mentioned, my ordination of my brother Stephen as Bishop of Savannah. I, I must say, I watched both. I saw the cathedral in Beaumont. What a beautiful cathedral. And then I saw Savannah's. Boy, they're neck and neck different, but spectacular. Yeah, they really are. And they would be considered, if our listeners haven't ever seen them, more traditional style cathedrals. So they're very ornate, beautiful stained glass windows, very high ceilings, you know, again, which draw your eyes and, you know, your heart and your soul up to God. Places where when you walk in, you really feel the presence of God. Of course, we believe he's present everywhere, but specifically in the Blessed Sacrament and the Tabernacle. But two very, very beautiful cathedrals, different than our own here in St. Petersburg. I think ours is beautiful as well, but for a different reason. I think it's beautiful for its simplicity, for its size, for the light inside, which is always, uh, to me, very inspiring as well. But yeah, it was was great to be there. And, you know, Savannah is a, a an older diocese than we are. I believe the diocese there was founded in 1850. So they're uh, celebrating their 170th anniversary. Wow. Whereas, as you know, uh, we, we just celebrated our 50th a couple of years ago. So uh, we have a little catching up to do. What were your emotions? Uh, I mean, you were right up there next to him and... It had to be something special for the both of you to, to be side by side. You know, unlike um, when I preside as bishop at different liturgies here in our diocese, ordinations and large events or liturgies, I really wanted to be there as his brother. So even though I'm a bishop and even though I was one of what they call the co-consecrating bishops, meaning I was one of the three primary bishops that got to lay hands on him as part of the ordination rite, I really wanted to be there as his brother. We've been very close in our lives, and it was just a very special time for me to, to witness that. I, I would say a very emotional time, John. I'll just share with you that during the rite of ordination, which takes place after the homily, you know, I started tearing up a bit. And probably the most emotional moment for me was when we uh, exchanged the, the sign of peace with each other, kind of gave each other a hug as part of the ordination rite. It was just uh, very emotional to see my brother there, who's now a brother bishop. This is a sort of a very personal question, but... As relatives, most families, when they go out of town to see a family member, they stay with their family most of the time. Because you're bishops, do you go crash with your brother? And, and was, did, did he already have a residence set up? No, that's a, that's a great question. Uh, yes, my brother actually had arrived in Savannah about three or four weeks in advance of his ordination. So he did does have a residence in downtown Savannah, which was occupied by the previous bishop. And so it's beautiful. It's like a two-story kind of brick structure, 
couple blocks from the cathedral so he can walk to the cathedral if the weather's nice and he does have a a guest room or two there and I certainly would stay there when I go to visit this particular occasion I did not they had identified a hotel a nice hotel in the downtown area again convenient to everything Uh, but that's where really all the uh, family was staying and friends so it was kind of a central location for a lot of the events dinners and receptions things of that nature a departure point for transportation So I I chose to stay there because it it also afforded me then the opportunity to spend time with my other family members who came for the the occasion, as well as friends and, and other priests and bishops that I know. The night of an ordination, there's evening prayer, which was uh, live streamed. And then afterwards, does he just go back to the residence? So the uh, the vigil of the ordination, which of course is the night before, we began the celebrations by gathering for evening prayer or solemn vespers, as it's called, at the Cathedral of St. John the Baptist in downtown Savannah. It's also a basilica, by the way, but it is their diocesan cathedral for the evening prayer. So we, of course, in, in praying evening prayer, give glory and praise to God, but also in a special way, pray for the bishop to be ordained the following day that being my brother. After the evening prayer, some of the group that was there went on a tour of Savannah, kind of a trolley a, a tour, I think. Tour. <laughs> <laughs> they do have those there. I, know, I did I see that. That's a big deal there. But uh, but no, they went on a, a tour of Savannah, of kind of the downtown area to see some of the landmarks and sites. I didn't do that. I think I went back to the hotel where there was going to be a dinner when they returned back. Mm-hmm. So a little bit while later, we, we had dinner together. The family, friends, bishops who were in town at that point got together for dinner. Good. So another big dinner, speaking of that, just recently, we had the postponement of the convocation, but the Luis de Cancer Award was given, and it was a big night for one of our local priests. Sure was. You know, just for our listeners, the uh, convocation that you mentioned is an annual gathering of the priests of the diocese, so who serve here in the Diocese of St. Petersburg, and usually it lasts for several days. It's typically held out at our retreat center at Bethany. And this year, because of the pandemic and the circumstances, the complications with having a a big gathering like we usually do, what we decided to do was just have a couple of dinners. So uh, for two nights, I uh, went out to Bethany Center, and we kind of limited the number of priests who could come each evening. So it was kind of a first-come, first-serve type of uh, situation. Just time for us to spend time together as priests and myself to be able to address our priests answer any questions that they might have. But really, I think the highlight is, uh, as you mentioned, giving out the Father Luis de Cancer Award, which is an annual award given to a priest of our diocese to recognize them for their outstanding priestly ministry and service, their example as a priest. And this year, the recipient was Monsignor Dennis Hughes. How about that? Uh, He's a retired priest now of our diocese, but most recently served as pastor of St. Peter the Apostle Parish in Trinity before retiring last year. So he was, uh, I didn't realize this, but he didn't know he was going to be receiving the award. So it really was a surprise when I announced his name and then shared a bit about his, his life and his history, his ministry here in our diocese. And uh, it's really very inspiring when you see all that a priest accomplished and did during their time of of active ministry. Yeah, I know that he was very involved in marriage encounter. In fact, when I first started going to Catholic masses, he was the pastor, I believe, at St. Timothy at a different location of where it is today. And I said, boy, that priest is really tall, but he doesn't have anything (laughs) on you. 
For those who may not know uh, Monsignor Hughes, he is, I, I think I want to say he's about six foot seven. Yeah. So I'm six foot eight. And uh, he held the title of tallest priest in our diocese right. before his new bishop arrived. And I, I kind of joked last night. I said, one thing I can definitely say about Monsignor Hughes is that he and I have always seen eye to eye. So, <laughs> there you go. There and you that go. was kind of a funny moment. But he's a, a, a good priest and uh, was just so grateful and uh, humble to receive this award. And it's a good example for all of us to follow because we're called to outstanding priestly service and ministry to others. And so um, that's why we recognize a priest every year. It reminded me of uh, what your brother said at his uh, installation when he said, when when people go to Mass and the prayer intentions, we pray for Bishop Parks, you're really getting a two for one now because we got Stephen and Gregory. <laughs> Isn't that true? So it's an added blessing now of having a brother who's a bishop is that I guess I, I get prayed for whether they intend it or not. That's right. <laughs> so. That's right. So uh, Monsignor Hughes and many of the other recipients uh, in past years serve as great examples, as you mentioned, for uh, many of our, our young priests that are coming up, men that they can model their own priesthood after. Oh, that's definitely true. And you know, as priests, when we're ordained priests, we need mentors. We need some guys with some um, some miles on the tires, as I would say. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. you know, men that have priests that have been through many years of ministry, both the ups and the downs, the challenges and the joys. And they help us and they assist us to learn about what it means to be a priest and provide good example for us to follow in and hopefully then to inspire other young men to consider priesthood and, and ultimately to be ordained. With priesthood these days, we recently had the ordination of three here in our own diocese. And, and in fact, I ran into Father Delia, who was ordained last year. And we were talking in the parking lot of the cathedral, and we were talking about the sound system. And I said, when you were ordained, you never thought you were going to have to deal with sound systems, did you? And he's like, no, they didn't talk about that in, <laughs> in seminary. But there are a lot of different things you have to deal with, especially big responsibilities for pastors. Recently, I saw a bishop where it was all over the news. One of our local churches was vandalized, and they tried to somebody tried to burn it down. I heard about another church just right up the road, St. Joseph's, that was broken into. Priests don't think about that when they're ordained to bestow the sacraments on people. They also have to become business managers and deal with crisis. Sure, that's very true. And, you know, it's similar, I guess you would say, to a, a couple when they get married. You know, as husband and wife, they can never really anticipate the the challenges or adversities, the difficulties that they might face in life. So just as when you're married, it's kind of a little bit of on-the-job training, learning what it means to be a husband or to be a wife, to be a father or mother. So it is with priests when we're ordained. Uh, There's a lot of on-the-job training that takes place. We try to prepare them during their formation in seminary as much as possible. And also during their seminary formation, they spend time in parishes during a pastoral year or during summers, kind of doing some ministry and getting a greater sense of what it means to be a priest. But nothing can prepare you for what you might face as a as an ordained priest. The incidences that you mentioned of, of violence here in our diocese, uh, you know, the act of arson, uh, as well as a, a break-in at one of our churches and the destruction of some property, very unfortunate. I mean, it's very sad, but it's... Uh, 
it's a reality today. My comment on that would be very often it's individuals that are suffering from mental illness. It's not necessarily that they have something against the church or they're uh, trying to make a a point. It's just a, a senseless act of destruction. So we as a church, of course, we pray for them and uh, we move forward. The particular church where there was arson, that happened just, I think, a day or two before the weekend, uh, but yet they had masses the next day. Mm-hmm. So they didn't allow it to stop the mission of the church or the, the ministry, the sacraments there. God's goodness will prevail over any acts of, of evil or unfortunate acts of violence. Is this a sign of the times? I mean, in all my years, I don't remember there being this many events across our nation. Some of it is due to just civil unrest, and some, as you say, maybe someone that's mentally disturbed. So there, you've seen statues that have been desecrated or destroyed. Uh, again, churches that have been damaged. I remember seeing in the Diocese of Orlando, there was a car that somebody drove into the lobby of the church and set it on fire. Right. You know, these are, um, it's just a reality of our time. And I guess it's a reminder that, you know, the church, uh, much like it was in Jesus's time or just after, is persecuted. So there are those who don't agree with what we're doing, with our mission, with with God, with his love, with his mercy, forgiveness. And so they're trying to do things that are going to interrupt that. But as I said, God's goodness and his love and his grace prevail over any evil. Well, we're always called to pray for those people who are, are suffering and, and want to cause destruction. During this time of Late September through November is a time period that our diocese calls the 40 Days for Life, which is really a national campaign that takes place to pray for an end to abortion. And we kicked ours off in late September. I happened to be there on the kickoff of the the Knights Women's Center in Tampa and witnessed some some great and some unfortunately sad events that took place there that day. And it's just that serves as a reminder for all of us to continue to keep prayer vigil for an end to an abortion. Oh, you couldn't say it any better, John. Um, you know, the 40 Days for Life is something that is a, a national organization, and I understand I wasn't able to be there because I was in Savannah for my brother's ordination, but I understand the founder of 40 Days for Life, I think Sean Carney, yep. was there. But as you said, I mean, October is what we call Respect Life Month, and so it's a designated time each year to recognize the gift of life that comes from God. We believe as Catholics that God is the author of all life, and he is the only one who has the power to give life and should have the power to take it away. If we do otherwise, we're taking the the pen of the author of life out of his hand, trying to write our own story by making those decisions. So we acknowledge that every life is precious and is a gift. And as I've often said, you know, the most innocent life is that in the womb. You know, which we are called to do our part to protect, to respect, and to promote. So we do whatever we can to protect that innocent life that God gives to us. And one of the things that you can do to protect that life and to learn more about it is to go to the polls and vote. And this year, more than ever, things are very contentious. We've seen that, you know, a number of issues are thrown out there at the debates and so forth, but it seems like abortion, especially now with a Supreme Court justice vacancy open, that it is uh, right at the top of the list. It sure is, and it's a good time to remind everyone that as a church that we believe that abortion remains the preeminent priority, the preeminent issue that we're called to address, and certainly that is in the election as well. So we need to do whatever we can do 
vote, <laughs> use our vote to promote life and to promote the respecting of life in the womb, and to remember that that should be in, in terms of the issues that we look at as Catholics before we go into the voting booth. And there's multiple issues, but I think the most important one is life itself. Because when you think about it, if we don't respect and protect the right to life, all the other rights seem to fall by the side. They really don't matter, you know? So that's why it is a, a preeminent issue for us as Catholics and something that should be of the highest priority when we go into the voting booth. If you want to find out more about the issues that the church stands for, while we don't endorse candidates at all, we can talk about issues. And the Diocese of St. Petersburg has put links on its website to direct you to some of those resources that the U.S. Conference of Bishops has and the state of Florida, the Florida Catholic Conference of Bishops has. You go to dosp.org. Yeah, it's right. Very timely. It's on our homepage. So it's not hard to find if you just go to, as you said, dosp.org. You can find links to all those great resources. And that touches upon something else, which is our responsibility as voters to learn about the issues and to to become familiar with them. I did my own ballot recently. I I chose to do mail-in ballot this year. So I had to learn about all the different amendments that are being proposed here in the state of Florida, as well as the candidates uh, that are running for office here in Florida, as well as obviously at the national level. So it's good to do that. We want to be informed voters so that our vote can make a difference. Well, you know, social media and the internet uh, certainly helps us do that. You've got to weed through what is true on social media versus what is politically charged, I'll say, or uh, motivationally driven. But for, for our own selves, I'm on Twitter I, I do a little bit of Instagram. Instagram recently celebrated its 10-year anniversary. Bishop, I know that you're very involved in various forms of media. Which one do you use the most, Instagram, Twitter, <laughs> Facebook? John, I, uh, I actually use all three. Really? <laughs> so I, I do. Whenever I post something, realizing and recognizing that each one reaches primarily a different audience in terms of demographics, age, so forth. Whenever I post something, I generally will post on all three. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, Twitter, I have a more national following or audience, so I tend to post less local things there. Right, okay. So, for example, Monsignor Hughes receiving the Luista Cancer Award. I posted on Facebook and Instagram. I didn't post it on Twitter, again, because it's uh, more of a local story and local things. So I'm, I'm kind of discerning about where I post, but, uh, but those are the three main channels that I use. Have you heard of Pinterest? I have. Do you do anything with that? No, I, I can honestly say I've heard of it. I generally know what it is, but I've never been on it before. Yeah, me either, but we're, we're doing more at, at Spirit FM with that. We just started an account, and um, I'm curious to see where that goes because, you know, sometimes these things come and go. Back in the day, I'll put, put the air quotes, did you have a MySpace no, I you don't remember think so. that? I do, but no, I don't think I, I had a MySpace either. I didn't either. either. Yeah. It took me a while to jump on Facebook, frankly. In fact, I, I would agree. I was just going to say that um, I actually didn't begin using Facebook uh, until I became a bishop over eight years ago up in Pensacola, Tallahassee, as a way of sharing my ministry with the people of the diocese. So I was encouraged to do it. I was a little hesitant, probably because I didn't understand it or right. wasn't familiar with it. But uh, but I got used to it very quickly, and, and I actually do my own posting now. So it's a, it's a good way of communicating with a large audience in the diocese and regionally as well and kind of getting a message out. 
Did you do? And of course, we do face uh, Facebook. We do uh, YouTube as well. Uh, you know that that takes some t- a little more craft, a little more skill. I'm not very good at that. <laughs> well, we do. Uh, the Diocese of St. Petersburg has a YouTube channel now, and we've been adding uh, more and more content to it, including some videos that I do on specific issues. They're very short, uh, usually about a minute, because I know myself that if anything's longer than a few minutes long, <laughs> you're out. I, well, e- either I have to be very interested in it to make that commitment, or I'm just not going to watch it. I'm not going to invest the time. So I think short little videos or snippets uh, about issues that are of concern to us as a church or relevant are good to do there. What kind of feedback do you get? Usually very positive. People like them. They On social media, for example, I'll post the videos as well. Others will share them with their particular account. So that's always good because then you're getting multiple layers of, of reaching people by doing that. And usually the comments are all very, very good. So one thing I don't do as a bishop, which some bishops do, is to get into a debate with people. Well, I was going to ask you yeah. that. Um, how, do you, how do you handle delicate issues critical issues or commentary that may counteract maybe what you were saying, maybe not in a spirit of debate per se, but a spirit of questioning. How do you handle those? Well, first of all, if somebody ever posts something on one of my posts, like a a response or a reply, a comment, if it's inappropriate or if it uses foul language or anything like that, I'll delete it because I don't want that associated with my account. I'm all about honest conversation and debate over issues as long as it's respectful. And if it ever crosses that line, then I step in, I monitor it, and I have some other folks here in our communications department that also monitor my accounts to make sure that there's nothing inappropriate that, that's posted there. You know, recently, I just as an example, I, I posted something on social media about that voting is uh, an obligation that we have as Catholics, and it's a moral obligation, and we should exercise our right to vote. It was a quote from the document, Forming Consciences for Faithful Citizenship. So it was just basically reminding Catholics that they should vote. That's part of our faith. But it spurred a, like a debate on the account itself, like a lot of comments with readers going back and forth. Uh, got a little bit heated at times, sure. but it wasn't intended, but it just kind of took off and had a life of its own. Sometimes those are good to have those those debates with taken in the right spirit, but oftentimes people read into what they want to read and it becomes emotional. And, and that's one of the, I think, the, the downsides of social media is that you know, you're not talking to somebody face-to-face. You might say things on social media to somebody that you would never say to them if you were face-to-face with them in person. So it can become a little bit uncharitable if we're not careful. Our Holy Father, Pope Francis, said that the Internet is a gift from God, and recently there was a, a young man in line to be canonized. He's being beatified as a saint, Carlo Acutis, who died when he was 15 years old, from leukemia and the story goes and I've read a little bit about it that as a young man he started a website that was tracking Eucharistic miracles and and so forth and documenting that and uh, using the platform to in essence help spread the faith and propagate the faith he became sick and died and the Vatican has recognized this and there's a cause for sainthood It's incredible the witness that this young Italian teenager gave during his short life. As you said, he he died or passed away at the age of 15. 
but gave such wonderful example to those who knew him and even to us today who learn and read about his story, about his life. But when I understand, and I, I'm the same as you, I just know a little bit about it at this time, but um, he grew up in a family that was not particularly religious or even had a, celebrated any type of faith in a very real way. But he was attracted to the Eucharist and eventually became Catholic and active in the church. He received his first Holy Communion. And I thought I read that after he received his communion, he went to church every day Mm. after that to receive the Eucharist. But he was also kind of a normal teenager. He did normal things. He, I think he enjoyed sports. He played video games and, um, and as you said, was active on social media and on the internet with regard to promoting the faith. Well, and you know, there's not very many in our history. I've, I've, I've read one, one place where 10,000 saints, but very, very few are children. Do you think the church is using this as an opportunity to help bring young people back by using him as an example? Well, sure. I mean, isn't that what's inspiring about the saints is as we read their lives and get to know them, we see very similar things to our own lives, either in terms of their profession or maybe the way that they suffered, some illness, martyrdom even. But yeah, in terms of age, I mean, so this is definitely inspiring for young people to see somebody who's their age, if they're in high school, but yet was so close to God. And, um, you know, just desired and, and wanted his presence and the Eucharist so much. So uh, we can be inspired uh, by that. And uh, hopefully he'll be recognized one day as a saint so we can uh, pray for his intercession. Well, as we close our program together today, Bishop, would you lead us in a prayer that would help us to foster good communications through our social media so that we can continue to propagate the faith? Certainly. Let us pray. God, our Father, we, as always, praise you and thank you for this day and for your many gifts and your many blessings in our lives. We thank you for the gift of being able to communicate with each other. And we ask that your Holy Spirit may always guide us in our conversations, in our use of social media, that we may use it for what it was intended, and through what we do there may give glory and praise to you. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. For more with Bishop Parks, including past programs, his social media accounts, and ways to subscribe to this podcast, visit dosp.org slash bishop. A View from the Top is a production of Spirit FM 90.5 and the Communications Office of the Catholic Diocese of St. Petersburg. A View from the Top is made possible by the annual Pastoral Appeal and listeners like you. Thank you for your support.